0: Let's get back to Jack Zimmerman, whose IQ is uh, probably average.
1: Welcome back to Check Please, the podcast where we're worried we're seeing the same therapist. Today, we're talking about strip number 1.21, banquets which originally posted on September 3rd, 2014. I'm secret omg. Who am I getting a divorce from? Hi, I'm Tomato and uh, I'll see you in the counselor's
0: office. Get it? Boy. I'll see you in court. <laughs> That's the joke I was making. Anyway, yes, let's let's move on. What are we looking at today? Well, as I said, we're looking at
1: the strip 1.21 banquet. Oops, sorry. Let me tell you what it's about. <clears throat>
0: All right. All right. All right. I'm centered and I'm ready to discuss Biddy's traumatic brain injury. All right. So Biddy says hello, everybody, to his followers. We find out that Biddy was able to skate off the ice after his very disastrous check in the last comic strip. He then says that unfortunately the play might have been for nothing because actually the team ended up eliminated in the next round. At the end of all of this nonsense, he ended up with a mild concussion, and so he will hopefully be able to play in the fall as long as he rests up throughout the summer. We then switch to the Samuel University Golf Course Clubhouse. Ugh. And in there, we see the coach giving a speech, giving the Carlyle Award for the player whose enthusiasm and devotion best exemplifies the team's spirit. Surprise, surprise, Biddy wins. Oh my goodness, he says, like the little surprised man that he is. I don't know. And then after that, the coach announces who the captain will be for the 2014-2015 school year. And in a rare unanimous vote, Jack, surprise, surprise, is voted into the captaincy. Everyone acts very happy for him and shocked that it was unanimous. Jack then says, uh, I didn't prepare a speech. Uh, But then he gives a speech anyway. It's boring. And
1: then everyone tells him it's a nice speech. And that's the strip. So Biddy just had a concussion. Should he be like recording and editing this video or should he not be? Well, here's what I'll say. Thanks for asking me, concussion expert. I don't know how long it's been since his concussion
0: until he is doing this. Like clearly he's still in his dorm room. So presumably not that long. He also may or may not have different symptoms from the concussion, but you're not supposed to use your brain. Literally, you're like not supposed to use your brain after you get a concussion. So potentially a bad idea. I will probably not be able to stop myself from talking about my concussion a bit later, but that's my ultimate thought is, yeah, I guess he can, if he's taking it easy and he feels okay and he's able to sort of sit upright and and like be a person, then I guess it's fine, but maybe not a great idea.
1: So Biddy makes the comment that the play that got him injured might have been for nothing because they get eliminated during the Frozen Four. But in fact, because of the play that Biddy made, they won the game and they ended up in the Frozen Four. So even if they ended up being knocked out there, isn't it sort of like the point of making plays in sports is to attempt to like get into the next round so that you get the chance to possibly go all the way? Obviously, I'm not saying it's great that Biddy has a concussion, but isn't the point of playing hockey that you're trying to do whatever it is that you can do in order to get yourself as far as you possibly can? Doesn't that, in fact, make it worth it? They had a chance because of the play that Biddy made. If Biddy hadn't made the play, they would not have had a chance. You miss 100% of the shots you don't get a concussion during, you know? I do know. And I agree
0: with you. I think that that's absolutely the point of sports playing is to advance to the next round, whatever that round might be. But I have been thinking about this and kind of like what worth it means in this comic what kinds of risks and difficulties and obstacles are worth attempting to overcome. And I have a suggestion, which I don't know if it's true, but based on our conversations we've been having about the kind of like political ethos of check please, I'm sort of wondering if maybe the narrative about risks in check please is that they're only worth taking in retrospect, like you can only figure out if it was worth taking them after you've succeeded? Or maybe that's not even quite what I mean, but the way the narrative to me seems to be moving, and we'll see if this kind of plays out, if you are morally righteous in the risk you are taking, you will succeed in whatever it is that you are doing. You will eventually get the trophy, or get the award, or get someone to agree to date you, or gain the acceptance of your parents or whatever. So there's like certain kinds of appropriate risks that one must take. If you take the wrong kind of risk, if you take a non-morally righteous risk, you are a shameful, selfish failure who deserves to humiliate yourself, you know, for all time. And so rather than there being multiple options for various kinds of risks, I think This is probably over-reading into this particular strip, but the idea of, like, what makes something scary worth it is maybe something to keep thinking about throughout the strip, and also to pay attention to whose risks are rewarded and in what way by the narrative, and whose risks are dismissed or demeaned by the narrative, whose risks don't pay off, and what does that mean? And what I suspect is that, in fact, it's not the type of risk that is righteous, but rather The people who do them are going to win because they are allowed to do risks for XYZ reason. Yeah, I don't know. Something about this idea of what makes a risk worth it is curious because I agree with your assessment, but I think that that assessment does not actually go along with Check Please's ultimate narrative about risk-taking. But I have to think about it more.
1: Well, not for nothing did I refer back to that. You miss 100% of the shots. You don't take quotes because you know that's what gets spit out at Jack when he's considering effectively whether or not he's going to take the risk of going to kiss Spitty and obviously we have a year's worth of comic strips to get there and discuss it but yeah I mean in some senses the comic seems to be making the argument that you just have to try so it just caught my attention that in this particular strip, Biddy makes an offhand comment that it like wasn't worth getting injured because they didn't end up winning the whole thing. Like he effectively sacrificed himself for his hockey team, which is in some ways, the most legitimate hockey bro thing you can possibly do. And if this whole strip, this whole comic is about Biddy not fitting in, well here we have an example of Biddy effectively being the prime example of what a hockey player is supposed to be. somebody who is willing to stick their body physically into a place where it may be harmed in order to help the whole team be uplifted and like move on. But then we have another example where a player does that specifically in a hockey game. And they do win the hockey game and the judgment seems to be that it was a shitty thing to do. So I don't know. I think this is a topic that it's like circulating throughout the story. Just add it to the pile. Just add it to the thematic pile of things to consider as we go along. We'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah. I mean, I feel like when, I I feel like when we get there is in fact consistently throughout this whole podcast. Yeah. I think that there's,
0: inconsistent conclusions about what kinds of things are worth it. So we should definitely keep an eye on it.
1: Well, I think what would actually be really interesting is if, in fact, different characters have different views of when risks are worth taking. That's how you create characters and characterize the people in your comic is if each of them have their own thoughts and opinions about how the right way to handle these things is.
0: Sorry? You mean people having their own feelings about things. I don't quite understand. I know that sometimes people have their own feelings about things, but then I feel like usually they see the light and they agree with Biddy, which is obviously the appropriate way to move through any moral quandary. So I'm not like fully understanding what you're saying.
1: Uh, not on the Jack Pars
0: discourse, they don't. Well, anyway, so you also brought up The fact that Biddy says he got a mild concussion and it does look like mild is in quotes as you pointed out but then I blew up the image and I think there are asterisks I was curious what you were thinking about that.
1: I mean I, I literally looked at this and I thought they were quote marks and my guess would have been that it was the comic calling into question the idea that there's such a thing as a mild concussion. I know there are degrees of severity in terms of head injuries but still Basically, what they call a mild concussion in hockey may not necessarily be so mild. Same thing, as we've learned recently, although not personally, luckily, with, say, coronavirus cases, mild doesn't necessarily mean, like, easy or without pain or without long-term consequences. Having said all of that, yes, you pointed out they're actually asterisks, and uh, I went back and I looked at the strip, and honestly, they, they- don't particularly look like asterisks to me, but then I'm too lazy to blow up the panel. So I believe you. Well,
0: what I think is interesting about that is that having asterisks around mild and having quotes around mild would be two extremely different things, right? The quotes around them call into question, exactly, severity of, again, traumatic brain injury, which a concussion is. I know that I keep saying that, but I think there is certainly in the sports world a kind of dismissal of what concussions are. but in fact, you know, they're brain injuries. It's a big deal. If you put asterisks around it, mild goes from being a questioning or pushing at that and becomes instead emphasis. Biddy's saying, oh, don't worry. It's only a mild concussion. It's only mild brain injury. And it's true that concussions are MBTIs. Like they literally are mild traumatic brain injuries. I said those letters in the wrong order, but you get me. That's how they're referred to sometimes in more recent medical literature, but this kind of emphasizing of mild is actually assimilating into hockey culture rather than questioning it. And so that's kind of why it matters. And I said I wasn't going to go too much on a soapbox, but I do just want to say concussions come in different grades of severity, but even a mild concussion, quote unquote, is pretty disruptive, at least for a few days. And if Biddy has to take months off, it's probably more than just mild. I mean, again, I'm speaking from my own experience As someone who got a concussion because a big piece of wood hit me in the head. And that was wild. It impacted my balance. It impacted my mood for like years afterward. I couldn't look at movies or moving images for months afterward. I couldn't be in bright light for months afterward. It really impacted my life. And that was a Moderate concussion. It wasn't a huge life changing, you know, concussion in many ways. But if Biddy has to take significant time off, he's been impacted in some way. I guess the more that I think about it, the more that I feel frustrated that this sort of thing isn't actually treated with particular nuance or thought in the comic. When I first read this strip, I had just recently gotten a concussion. So I wasn't aware that I was about to have many years of impact coming from it. So it didn't strike me as that frustrating the first time around. But Reading it now, I don't know. I feel many narratives around sports and hockey in specific, sacrificing the body, as it were, ends up getting lauded ultimately. Like it's a worthwhile sacrifice. And the reason that it's worthwhile is because eventually the team does really well and Biddy gets married. And so I feel slightly irritated. I didn't get a rich husband because of my concussion. Unfair.
1: Well, you didn't have a rich husband who told you to do something that caused you to get a concussion. At the end of the strip, at the end of year four, he gets another mild concussion. (laughs) And I think it'll be interesting to look at these two mild concussions in dialogue, because here, it is treated like somewhat as if it's an injury that's interrupting Biddy's life a bit. He talks about how he had to Slow down, and there's scenes of him being evaluated by the team doctors. After he gets a concussion as a senior, he immediately goes to party with his team and there's no comment about it interrupting his life at all and then jack says please stop getting concussions and biddy says it was a mild concussion maybe i'm in you know maybe i'm intoning that wrong i don't know i guess we'll just have to see when we get there but interesting just an interesting thing to bookmark Think about it. On Sale Fanned Banan, after that strip posted, somebody made the comment, I bet they had such great mildly concussed sex. And I thought to myself, oh that truly, whoever made this comment, you are the king of this FFA thread. I would
0: love to read mildly concussed Jack Biddy sex, especially if Biddy's like, hang on, I'm dizzy, give me a second. Oh, I'm a little sick okay, now we can go. I think that would be incredible.
1: And like, it would be even more dramatic if he was topping. Like, can you imagine? That's what
0: I was just thinking about. Jack's like, oh, I guess we can pause. Fine. Let's get back to business. Biddy gets an award for sportsmanship, which you pointed out, we never see awarded again and never care about ever again.
1: Well, you have to just presume that Biddy won it every year, right? Like, who else would they give basically the sportsmanship award to?
0: What I find interesting about this is that
1: He literally gets an award for sacrificing the body. Like,
0: that's why he's won this award, presumably, in addition to the fact that he made friends with four of his teammates. Like, I'm not sure why else he gets this award.
1: He made those gift bags. I don't know if you forgot already about the gift bags. Oh, that's right. I think I blocked them out
0: because I'm so irritated about that fucking gift. Anyway, right. He made gift bags. He made some pies. I guess. Sure. But really, he's literally in the same strip getting awarded for sacrificing his brain. So good job, Biddy, I guess.
1: I guess it's like the Samwell equivalent of the uh, Masterton Award that they give out in the NHL. If you've come back from something like a devastating brain injury or a mild form of cancer, I know it sounds like I'm being a sarcastic bitch, but just go on the Wikipedia page for what reasons that award has been given. And it's just like, survive cancer, survive cancer, survive cancer, actually, Maybe that's why that kid in that South Park episode had cancer. It's probably not.
0: I would also just like to point out, do you know why? I mean, I know you know, but for our listeners, if you don't know why the Masterton Award exists, it's because somebody died playing hockey from head injuries. It's troubling. The whole thing is troubling. Let's just move on from that, but it's troubling. I did also want to briefly point out that award-winning, which I hadn't noticed until reading the strip and thinking about how we were going to talk about it, award-winning is actually a really big part of this comic. Awards and recognition and accolades from a given institution, whether that be Samwell or the NHL, it's a really big deal. And it's interesting to me how some awards, and I think this goes along with that idea about risks we mentioned earlier, some awards are morally righteous to win and some awards are proof of your bad character. And I think it'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out as well.
1: If somebody won a Calder award, stay away from them. Con Smythe only.
0: Do you think Jack ever wins a Lady Bing?
1: I feel like if we talk about all the different NHL awards that I have considered Jack and or other hockey players in check, please, maybe will have or would win, we would just be here for actual hours, like just hours and hours. All right, so next special episode, every NHL
0: award and who wins them?
1: No, honest to God, honest to God, that would be an amazing special episode where we just go through the list of NHL awards and we talk about who we would give them To in check, please. Okay, it's going on our poll. I'm going to put it in
0: the Google form.
1: My one last thing I want to say about this in terms of sportsmanship as an award category is that there is a song written for the movie Team America World Police, which is the rare non South Park franchise venture initiated by Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I deeply recommend you not watch that movie, but one of the songs written for it, America fuck yeah. It's actually pretty funny. And it's basically just them saying different things that are associated with American culture that are actually really stupid. And at one point, one of the things they chant is just sportsmanship. Not that it's not important, but yes, I remember being a child and being in fucking gym class which was the one class I was allowed to get, like, not an A in, by the way. And the fucking gym teacher was just constantly talking about sportsmanship. He would be like... This is the thing that makes you a good athlete. It's not about whether or not you're good at playing. It's about sportsmanship. So I feel like this is a really deep concept that relates to how we're trained to think about athletics in the United States and then it's not part of this comic at all. I don't remember a gym teacher ever telling me about sportsmanship and I remember just getting
0: B's even though I actually tried in gym class because I wasn't good at sports. So rude. This comic I think does try to address sportsmanship but uh, it fails. I think the idea of sportsmanship kind of turns into do you properly appreciate pity and if you do you're a good sport and if you don't you're very bad so maybe that's an unnuanced take of this very complex comic but we'll see.
1: Just to be clear the comic doesn't use the word sportsmanship. We're summarizing a phrase that the comic uses as sportsmanship. It's yeah. enthusiasm and devotion to the team that exemplifies the team's spirit. I think that basically means sportsmanship. I
0: think I have maybe more complicated thoughts about what sportsmanship actually means in practice, but maybe we'll kind of talk about that as we go through the comic. I'm thinking about what it means to win and how that relates to sportsmanship and what things are you willing to do in order to win and so on and so forth.
1: I mean, sucking hockey is a game where when you don't like how somebody looked at your goalie, you beat them up. So I feel like... It's not a very sportsmanly, all right, look, we're dancing around it. Here's what's really going on in this panel. Ollie and Wiki are sitting in the foreground. Future husbands of America. Well, I don't know about America, but certainly the Samwell class of 2017. So Jack is unanimously voted captain. And I feel like it would be really, really harsh. Like it would be really tough to literally vote out a guy who had already been captain for two years and in the current year had gotten the team into the final four. That would be insane. So... The fact that it seems shocking, I don't know if it should. It literally, truly, 100% is a popularity contest. And we've already seen from Dex coming and saying like, oh, I thought this team had Jack Zirman on it. That it's the kind of team where the Players who get there are impressed by who Jack Zimmerman is. They're going to vote him captain. They did it for the past two years. They're going to do it this year too. It just doesn't seem like that much of an accomplishment. It's not. Or the comic is really, really trying to get you to feel as though truly this is an earned honor that only somebody who had really secured the trust of the whole team through their upstanding conduct spirit and sportsmanship would be able to secure but i mean it's a fucking popularity contest the guys on the team vote for the captain this is the captain who's been the captain the past two years and they did really good this year also he's the closest thing to a real hockey player on the team so if you want to do good probably he's the person you should put the most authority in. Just makes sense is what I'm saying.
0: I remember this being something addressed in at least a couple fanfics. And I certainly thought about writing a fic about it, like in my early days in Check, Please! fandom. How Jack might have been voted in at first just because he's Bad Bob's son. And then how his relationship to the captaincy changes and how you can build an interesting narrative arc around that, right? It could be something really interesting if Jack pre-canon gets voted into that position because of who he is and then does actually slowly kind of learn to be a more mature, thoughtful interesting player who learns how to lead I don't know that we see that but it's a nice story I think that this strip however is doing what we've mentioned in the past couple strips it's telegraphing the emotional response we're supposed to have it's telling us how to feel and it does that through putting our reactions you know by proxy into lardo and shitty and everybody in the same way that in in a movie where someone's doing something on a stage and then you kind of get a cut of the audience and you see how they react it Told you how you're supposed to react. That's what's happening here.
1: Yes, I have also seen, and I don't know where. I don't know if it came from you or it came from like the heavens above. But I have also seen the concept that Jack was basically just sort of assumed to be Captain Material because of his legacy, and then little by little he got better at it, or little by little, you know, he says something like, "I thought." I just deserve to be captain, but now I know I earned it or some shit like that. He was also the captain of the Memorial Cup winning team in 2009. He has a history of proven success as a captain and I don't know enough about hockey locker room specifically to know like if truly somebody who was just completely horrible would make or break the success of a team or like demoralize the team too much but I genuinely feel like it just figures that a guy who has a proven record of leading teams to victories and advancing them far in the playoffs as the captain would be a natural choice for captain. Yeah, and then there's some, some to do about the fact that it's a unanimous vote. Well, one thing is, just because it's a unanimous vote doesn't mean it's a secret vote. So it's possible that, like, everybody on the team chats about it. You know, hey, bro, who are you voting for? I'm just going to vote for Zimmerman again. Oh, cool. I was thinking maybe I should vote for whoever, but I'll just vote for Jack, too.
0: I would say that that is almost certainly the case, given how any team I've ever been a part of has ever managed anything. Probably not in, like, a strategic way necessarily, but I would assume that people discussed it. And again, as you mentioned, why wouldn't you vote for the person who brought you to the fucking Frozen Four? That would be nuts. I do also just want to briefly mention that the coaches mentioned this is a rare unanimous vote. And, uh, not to be too spoiler heavy, But it is not the only unanimous captain vote that we will see. Either unanimous votes aren't so rare or certain characters are just so exceptional that, you know, every single person can see their value in really important ways. And if it is rare, it's interesting to note that it's not the only unanimous vote that we see.
1: And I think that... Ransom and Holster are voted co-captains by what the text says is a split vote. I think the implication is that like 50% of the vote went to one and 50% of the vote went to the other. So I guess the overall impression we get is that there's a huge amount of consensus on this hockey team.
0: It does seem that way. And it seems that this particular friend group we're following is the undeniable leader of culture in the Samuel men's hockey locker room, which is very possible, right? Like that actually is totally possible that that could be a dynamic in a locker room that there is this core group of dudes who tends to really support the rest of the team and have really good ideas about how to do that.
1: Biddy's final year, we don't get consensus. Eh, We'll talk about it later. Who cares? Doesn't matter. It's Dex, by the way. Anyhow, this panel is interesting to me, not just because of the, you know, riveting conversation about like, who's going to win what, but, um, The panel where Jack has announced as captain is the first time in the entire comic that Jack and Shitty interact. They have not exchanged one word to each other the entire comic until this point. And when they do interact in this comic, well, there's a there's a moment at the start of the, the comic where Shitty is touching Jack's shoulder after they lose their hockey game and end up out of the playoffs. There's no dialogue, and it's, like, seen from behind. And then in this in this strip, Shitty is patting Jack on the back, and he's saying... Well, there's a typo in that speech bubble, but it says, don't tell us. You're actually surprised. Jack is looking away from him, and he doesn't reply to Shitty. So it's just, like... I realize that I may be like belaboring this, but I just think it's so funny that like these characters are supposed to be best friends and they're supposed to like have each other's backs and like all of the talk in this particular strip is about how like it's not all about Jack. And he's finally learned that, like, they're a team and, like, it's not, it's like, there's no Jack in team. But, like, in this strip where his, like, what we've been told is his best friend is, like, trying to support him. He is, like, looking away and doesn't reply and it's the first time they've ever spoken. I think that that is really indicative of uh, so much about this comic, isn't it? Oh, it's not intentional. You know it's not intentional. Like, I cannot, cannot imagine, as this was being drawn, and Gozi was thinking, it's weird how this is the first time they've ever interacted. Like, she probably was thinking, oh, I've drawn them, like, interacting a million times in, like, extras and things. Oh, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is where we get to this debate over like, what is canon and what is not canon? What is meant to be read as part of the main text? If you're only reading check please, not any of the extra shit. Yeah, this is it. This is the first time they interact. And Jack doesn't interact with any of his teammates. He's being supported as he gets up and goes to give his speech, but he doesn't look any of them in the eye or say thank you. (laughs) I know we're not supposed to read it that way. I just think it's funny ironic.
0: I mean, this is the thing about this comic that is so good and that I forgot how much I felt when I first read it. As I've said before, the first time I read the comic, as it was coming out, you know, as I was following each of these strips, I took exactly from it what I was supposed to take. These two are best friends. Everybody loves each other, blah, blah, blah. It was a very fun comic, but I wasn't, you know, deep in it forever the way I am now. But then when you revisit it and you don't read it in context of its tropes, but you just take it at value, what happens on, each page, you get this totally bananas situation where Jack Zimmerman is incapable of maintaining deep friendships or something. I mean, I don't think that that's the case, but that's kind of the picture that we get. We get these weird little glimpses at him that make him a very curious character that I am just, like, obsessed with because, you know, he's a weirdo. I understand he's maybe not supposed to be a weirdo in the way that I read him. I understand he's supposed to be sort of dark, mysterious, and anxious, and instead I'm like, oh, that guy, like, can't form a human relationship. How relatable. But, you know, I'm really interested in that second reading. And this strip is a great example of that. It's very much in keeping with a particular kind of sports and romance mile marker. And at the same time, Jack's discussing his desire to be part of a team while being completely incapable of actually talking to anybody around him! And that's amazing! Whether or not it's purposeful. And by the way, as we've said, I don't think it's purposeful. I do also think that this sort of thing is part of how I read Jack the character and kind of coming up with reasons for why he's like this is part of how I read the character. And I think that the different way that people interpret these moments like this lead to very different versions of Jack.
1: I am completely signed on to that reading because it's what's making this really interesting to me and I think it's like really inadvertent and sometimes I feel like I need to defend my like insane interpretation of Jack Zimmerman as basically a psychopath but I feel like it's just an alternate reading of what's there based on, you know, doing visual analysis and actually paying really close attention. I mean, you're not supposed to do a podcast about this comic where you spend, what is it now? It's gotta be like hundreds of hours talking to each other over Zoom about check please. You're not supposed to, but if you do, you find all these interesting connections, like the fact that Jack is really a ghost, I guess. Or whatever. While you were talking about Jack's speech, all I was thinking to myself was a really funny edit would just be if you took famous speeches from history and replaced what Jack says in this with like people's inauguration speeches or whatever. So I was thinking of just different patriotic, not very good speeches into these panels. And I think that would be amusing for me. I don't, anyone, who's listening, who has Photoshop skills, I don't think it would be a good use of your time. Oh, I disagree. I request that if you have a
0: particular speech you want to see Jack give, you should go ahead and Photoshop it away. I definitely did forensics in high school in which I gave speeches like Clarence Darrow's Leopold and Loeb speech to a captive audience of high schoolers and one very confused parent who wasn't sure whether or not I did well because it's such a weird speech. But Oh, the-
1: I just listened to the Bad Gaze episode about them.
0: Well, it's a great speech if you want to think about
1: the closing arguments for why you shouldn't convict gay murderers. Isn't it more that it's unethical to use the death penalty than that they're not murderers? Yes, that's exactly what it's about. But uh, if you think that Jack doesn't
0: believe that Leopold and Loeb should be killed, you know, put that speech right in his little mouth. Why not? Oh my god, Jack Zimmerman, giving sinners in the hands of an angry god.
1: This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. We are one nation and their pain is our pain. Their dreams are our dreams and their success will be our success. We share one heart, one home, and one glorious destiny. That's literally what he's saying in the comic already. Okay, now I just
0: started thinking about Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall so let's move on i mean he
1: kind of looks like ronald reagan he does the hair a little bit
0: all right all right all right all right all right that's homophobic
1: let's move on it's homophobic to say that jack's hair makes him look like ronald reagan <laughs> so like okay he says he didn't prepare a speech i guess the implication is that he is so humble and so like unself centered, that it did not even occur to him that he may be voted captain for a third time. I have actually seen people make that reading a justification for the fact that, like, Jack is just such an upstanding human being that he's not even thinking about himself and whether or not he might win. I think it's unprepared. Having said that, I also feel like, like, you don't need to give a fucking speech, dude. Just go up and be like, thanks, guys. Next year is going to be awesome. I won't let you down. Period. Sit down. You don't need to do this. Having said that... I think this is the only time we'd see him actually, like, addressing the hockey team. It's not in a locker room. It's not on the ice. It's not in hockey gear. It's dressed up in his Ronald Reagan cosplay and they're at, like, the golf course banquet hall. It is just really weird to me and I never realized before that we never actually see Jack doing anything, like, captain-y in this whole comic. We see him basically one-on-one, like, bitch to the coaches earlier in year one. But we never see him give any kind of support to the team broadly. We see him giving it to Biddy. And at one point in his Dibs comic, we see him giving it to Chowder. So I guess in theory, he's like willing to work with players one-on-one who he's already friends with and would probably hang out with either way. Well, I guess he wasn't friends with Biddy at the start of year one. But we just never see him doing anything that I think of hockey kipton's doing. I don't know why I say in like I'm Chekhov on the Enterprise, but okay. Come back next week for my Star Trek podcast. We should do a special episode about Star Trek because I love Star Trek. I do as well. With Star Trek would we do a special episode about? We'll talk. We'll talk. Leave it in the comments. So I think that reading
0: that Jack didn't prepare a speech because he's humble is not super textually supported, although, of course, everyone can do whatever they want. But if you look at Jack at the beginning of year one, he isn't exactly unwilling to see himself as the arbiter of what is appropriate for the hockey team. He tells Biddle to eat more protein, so on and so forth. I mean, he's not exactly like a humble dude who doesn't think his opinion matters. That's why he's going to the coaches and being like, what do you think about this? So I think that that is a reading that I personally don't respond to, but like, sure, whatever. I agree that it's a bit unprepared. I don't dislike it as a reading. I think we're probably supposed to take him as humble, but I prefer the reading that he just like didn't get ready. I think there's something kind of interesting about speeches here, which I didn't think about until reading this strip, which is that actually speeches and kind of success rituals, like awards, are really important to this comic. They are very much part of the comic value system. And getting recognized by institutional reward is integral to multiple character arcs. And that, I think, is very much in keeping with the sort of conservative ethos that we've discussed as being underneath the storyline in this comic. And I hadn't really put that together until seeing first Biddy and then Jack get awards for what we are supposed to see as their value, which by the way, I'm just going to point out that it's kind of interesting that although obviously, yes, Biddy assimilated into the most hockey bro-ish thing possible by jamming his head on the ice willingly in order for Jack to get a goal. Kind of interesting that Biddy, who just a couple strips ago, people did not think was on the hockey team, got the hockey award for being a good sport and Jack got the award for leading people to victory. I don't know. There's something kind of interesting there. It's It doesn't really matter because eventually, as we discover Biddy can also lead people to victory. But I don't know. That just occurred to me in the moment and I'm kind of just thinking aloud about it. The other thing I think is interesting about Jack's speech? Jack's speech isn't anything. As Secret mentioned on our outline, everyone is dumb for thinking the speech is good, and I agree with that assessment. And I just want to point out that, let's look at what he actually says. Thank you for voting for me. I've made mistakes. I focus too much on myself. The team taught me you can't accomplish anything as an individual. We'll get to that in a second. There's a saying around here, quote, we have each other's backs. Just want to point out, that's not a saying. And from now on, I want to honor that. So next season, as your captain, I hope to play not for myself, but for everyone in this room. Thank you. Also, he's saying this in a French-Canadian accent, which I can't do properly, but, you know, maybe Secret will allow us a little.
1: Thank you for voting for me, again. I want to say that I've made some mistakes this year. I focused too much on myself as an individual player. But one thing this team, you all have taught me, is you can accomplish anything as an individual. I don't know if that's a French-Canadian accent, it's just what I started doing when I'm like reading Jack's dialogue while we're recording podcasts.
0: I really like it. I've been listening to everybody out there who likes French-Canadian music. There's a really great artist whose name is Tiberibu and his French-Canadian accent is truly something to behold and you should all listen. He's really good. Thank you, Secret. That was a gift and I appreciate it. But I just want to point out that this speech is a series of platitudes which are basically what every hockey player says after every hockey game that exists. It's not just one player. It's everybody. You can't accomplish anything as just one person. Secret just got really excited. So,
1: okay, what? You know how whenever we're making fun of what hockey players say, the first thing that comes to mind is the great guys. I literally today was watching current Blackhawks press conferences and yes probably you shouldn't just bleep out this name but beep right off the bat was just like they're great guys.
0: Anyway Jack speaks in platitudes, I am personally obsessed with this for a couple of reasons. One is that I think that it is very in keeping with someone whose entire personality has been shaped by the cruel machine of a hockey childhood. Makes sense, this is how you would learn how to talk. Because I happen to think about this character and find a lot of value in thinking about him as autistic, I think that this is also something that is really interesting because it is a way of expressing yourself in language that has been defined and shaped by other people that you can borrow pieces of and use to communicate what you want to say, and that is something I can Care about as a way of thinking about communication and language and so I love that this is his speech however I don't think we're supposed to read it that way I think we're supposed to see this as just a humble guy doing it for the guys who's like really realized now that he's just out there for the guys he's gonna like really do it for his team this year because he just really cares about them. like I think we're supposed to understand it as quite earnest and it is but it's earnest without specificity And this, I think, is something that we see in multiple speeches Jack makes. And I guess I'm kind of interested in just marking that and thinking about it, especially as we see him make a very important speech towards the end of the comic. I also just want to point out that when Jack says thank you, we get this final reaction shot of Biddy. So again, much as the other reaction shots we see where everyone's congratulating Jack, this is... Reaction shot is supposed to give us something to feel and think about. And we see Biddy clutching his own award to himself, looking down, blushing a little in a self... I don't know how to describe this, but kind of an acknowledgement that he's one of the people who Jack is talking about or, or or thinks he is. Certainly we're supposed to think that he's one of the people Jack is talking about and supporting. But this is right after Jack asked Biddy to do something that gave him a brain injury. So I am just very... Very curious about how to read this moment. Obviously, I know how we're supposed to read the moment, but like, how is the moment readable? What are the various ways to read this moment?
1: I don't know. Well, one way to read it is that Biddy is thinking, oh, we both won awards. Another way is that he's still just thinking about how happy he is that he won his award. I don't think that's how we're supposed to read it, but if I won an award and I was super happy 75 seconds later when Jack was talking, I would probably still be thinking about myself and hugging my own award and thinking about how I had won an award. Yeah, me too. I think it's possible also that Biddy is listening to what Jack is saying and not even thinking something as generous as, oh, I'm one of those people, but oh, he's talking to me. I'm the person that he's addressing here because I'm the person he had a conflict with and was not supportive of during this previous season. And if we buy that Biddy already has a crush on him, He's probably reading this as some kind of personal communication, even though I don't think it is. But, you know, I think about me and how crazy I am. I would probably think to myself, ah, this is a moment that's binding us together because we both just won awards and now he's directly addressing, through a total lack of specificity (laughs) and any personal entreaty, my personal history with him. But it is interesting, the number of moments in this comic that are entirely ambiguous. You could really read this panel several different ways. Do you have any other readings to pile on here? I like that Lardo's napkin is, is folded into a boat or something. That said, that napkin is like hilariously too small.
0: No, that's pretty much what I was thinking about. I was trying to think about how to communicate the fact that I think that the reading we are supposed to have and the reading that I'm making is that Biddy thinks that Jack is speaking to him. But that is readable in two very different ways. The first way is, this is a romance. This moment is binding the characters together, as you said. It is so sweet that Jack is trying to reach out to Biddy in this way, and that Biddy's recognizing it. They're both sort of exceptional characters. Here they are, you know, I can just feel that they're kind of going to go through this together, and they're going to become closer and closer. The other way to read it is, Biddy thinks that Jack is addressing him, and this is crazy on multiple fronts, (laughs) because Jack is not addressing Biddy. And if Biddy is taking it that way, that means that Biddy is reading himself into the situation above everyone else on the team. And simultaneously, if Jack is talking to Biddy this way, that's nuts, he needs to talk to Biddy face-to-face and specifically about their relationship. So I absolutely think that that is what's
1: happening, but I think that it's bananas. You know what I mean? Well, calm down, Tomato. He will talk to Biddy in the next comic strip. Let's look at Jack's speech again through the lens of Biddy. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, thank you all for voting for me again. Well, Biddy's never voted for him before, so the first speech bubble is not about Biddy. I want to say that I've made some mistakes this year. The only mistakes that we've seen Jack make this year are in relation to how he treated Biddy. The moment where he told Biddy to make a play that got Biddy a concussion, was arguably not a mistake. I mean, obviously it's a mistake in the sense that Biddy got hit and now he's going to suffer, like physically. But the play actually worked exactly as Jack described and it got them exactly the result that Jack desired. So I don't know that it was necessarily a mistake. That said, the things we've had Jack do in the comic that are arguably mistakes are being mean to Biddy, protesting Biddy being put on his line, telling Biddy to eat more protein, and the rest of the classic check please moments that you came to this comic for. I focused too much on myself as an individual player. Yes, the fact that he wanted to make a goal in that Samwell versus Yale game, and he was angry that Biddy took that away from him. The fact that he didn't want Biddy on his line, even though it was possible that it would make him play better. We don't have any instance of him forsaking the team as a whole, we only have evidence of him forsaking Biddy. The one thing this team, and then offset, you all have taught me, is that you can't accomplish anything as an individual. Well, okay, so is he not basically saying this directly to Biddy? Not that I think he actually is in this moment where there's an actual thing that was happening. But subtextually, is this not basically like Biddy, you taught me that you can't accomplish anything as an individual because your very presence forced me to reevaluate how i thought of myself as an individual like again we never see jack interacting with the whole team how did the whole team you all or as some people would pronounce it Y'all teach Jack anything about being a team. We've never seen him with the team. This is the first time we've seen the whole team in a space together. There's a saying around here, We have each other's backs. Well, he just said that to Biddy in like the last arc. He said that to Biddy two comics ago. So it's obviously a direct reference to the fact that this is a sentiment that he just vocalized to Biddy. From now on, I want to honor that. So I hope to play not for myself, but for everyone in this room. I mean, okay, I guess that's maybe like a little broader, but it's... Very easy to, if you buy into Jack and Biddy romance, or as I like to call it, Jack Bitrom. Oh my god, fuck this podcast. Fuck this comic. Listen, if you want to read into Jack Biddy romance as like, what's going on here, based on Biddy's reaction in the previous panel. Yeah, I mean, he could very obviously just like insert himself with not too much labor, into what Jack is saying, and that may be because what Jack is saying is so vague that it could apply basically anybody, but it's also because the only thing we've seen Jack doing this entire fucking year is getting mad at Biddy and then not being in strips. There were a couple of strips where he was just like standing quietly in the background, but that's all he's done. So when he's talking about, you know, I didn't this and I need to do better that, the only thing we have any kind of context for is in relation to his treatment of Biddy. Or I guess we're just supposed to believe that he was shitty to everyone. Everyone else, also off camera. Well, I think you're absolutely right.
0: And I think that's why it's that reading is so present and evident. Especially with Biddy's reaction shot. Like there, there is not another reasonable reading to me of these two moments than that like, hey, these characters like each other. and They're going to like each other more as time goes on. Especially given what actually happens in the comic, obviously, right? I just want to note that as a construction of a relationship, this is like an insane tactic. It's a really wild narrative choice. So I actually went through and I listed all of the different strips that Jack appears in. And I tried to think about... Which comic strips he may possibly actually have learned a lesson in. So, in a bunch of them, he's just in the background. In one of them, his butt is, you know, primarily of interest, but his personality, not so much. And a few times, he's just really mean to Biddy. But I found three comics that actually maybe show some kind of character growth or some kind of relationship. So that's 110, when he and Biddy have that conversation on the loading dock. It's 118, where Jack runs from the restaurant, you know, after drinking his beer, just weeping and sobbing about how everyone hates him. And then there's 119, which is I got your back. That's it. Two of those were in the last five strips, and one of them was a bit before. That's three strips out of how many now? 21 uh, or 22, so it's about a seventh of the strips we have so far. show some kind of potential character growth. Fraction-wise, that's not a huge amount. And so it's bananas to me if this is a strip that is interested in kind of conventional storytelling building of character and verisimilitude of some kind that this would be a reasonable thing for Jack to say in the sense that he and Biddy unless there's a lot of stuff happening off screen which as we know from the chirp book there is but As far as storytelling goes, it's like a really wild tactic because essentially what's happening here is that Ngozi has shown a few conversations between these characters which are in some way different from an antagonistic relationship that we see between them otherwise we see a little bit of growth in that relationship and then jack basically makes a declaration to biddy in front of the whole team that he's changing his ways for biddy or something again it's very vague i do think it's readable that he's been an asshole to everyone else off screen if only because holster at the beginning of year one is like oh yeah jack's always a jerk you know at the beginning of the season so it's possible that he's doing that but, but it's like, but not really. As you mentioned, really what we see is him being an asshole to Biddy. And so, although I understand what I'm supposed to be getting out of this moment and I agree that the, the reasonable reading is that Jack is speaking to Biddy and Biddy accepts that, the fact that Jack is basically making a coded speech in front of the rest of the team declaring his devotion to Biddy's well-being is crazy. I love it. I think it's fascinating as a character choice, but it's like a really bananas move. Except if you think about it, I guess, as a way to build pathos with the audience and a way to kind of telegraph the relationship to the audience without doing the work of building the relationship. Yeah, okay, it works. And obviously it worked well enough that everyone got on board. But I don't know if I'm quite articulating what I'm thinking about this, but I understand I'm supposed to read it as a sweet moment, and I can read it that way, but far more interesting to me is the reading that's just like, Out of nowhere, Jack declares his loyalty, you know, to like Duke Biddy. And this is him waiting down to be knighted, you know, as he leads
1: Biddy's future team to victory or whatever. I think it's very interesting that Jack says, you can't accomplish anything as an individual. Strictly speaking, of course, that's true. One of the reasons why hockey players are always saying it's all about the team and it's a great group of guys is because, well, it is a hockey team. You truly can't accomplish anything as an individual. The whole team has to be playing relatively well, plus some luck for you to hack it as a hockey team. I mean, so too with all sports, for the most part, by the way, group sports, team sports. However, it is not uncommon to see exemplary hockey players who are considered generational talents who put up amazing numbers on teams that are never going to be contenders don't do very well. So strictly speaking, yes, that's true. And the idea that Jack would have learned it only this year after playing hockey for actually his entire life seems specious. But I think it's, an interesting thought in the context of the rest of the comic, because the point of the comic, of course, as we have already discussed, is Biddy wins, not Samwell Mentaki wins. Biddy wins. And while I guess Biddy wouldn't have won his NCAA championship without the rest of the team, the fact that the rest of the team also wins the championship truly does not at all matter. And the team as a group in between this speech and that victory that Biddy leads them to does not as an entity grow or change or evolve or learn at all. For all intents and purposes, the team, comprising of course both individuals and the collective entity of the team does not do anything to learn or change or become a more collective, well-oiled machine between this scene and the end of the comic. Biddy wins. Biddy learns how to like check a player. This comic is in so many ways focused on the individual your individual needs in terms of being out, your individual needs in terms of having friends, what you can do when you have a group of friends and also you draw on your reserves to power through a really challenging time, but you know it's going to be like a good challenge and you're going to come out the other end. It's weird that the comic is like so committed to this libertarian philosophy of the exemplary individual who works hard and is ornately uniquely talented. But the thing it keeps saying textually over and over again is in direct contrast with that. That it's all about friends and the group and the team and all the people and you know. So you
0: made the comment, which I just want to briefly highlight, that in fact, in this one moment, if not in its overall messaging, we lean away from the libertarian ethos and in fact go straight to Stalinism. And I just want to say that, like, actually, I don't agree that Czech Please is revisionist.
1: Yeah, I mean, my comment effectively is that textually, I think the comic thinks it's pushing one message, but subtextually... If you actually read the comic and interpret the real meaning of what's going on on the page, it has a different meaning. And the two things are contradictory. And that's why this comic upsets so many people, is because they keep reading it, seeing one thing, and then the text keeps saying, no, you didn't see that, you dummy. And if that happens a bunch of times, it starts to drive you a little crazy. And then you're like, well... I'm trapped in my house. Why don't we do a podcast where we talk about this? Truly what a blessing. What a blessing to you, listener.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's really interesting, right? Because that is exactly how you end up with a fandom that is deeply divided, not only in its preferences about the the, the piece of media, but about its very message. Other fandoms I've been in certainly had multiple ways of interpreting the text mostly the characters and their relationships to each other. And that could obviously lead to very deep division, depending on like, usually whose dick you wanted to see go where. That's typically the the basis of fandom fights that I have seen. But the fandom fights that happen in Check, Please, while obviously that is also part of the the fights that happen about Check, Please, are divisive in other ways as well, including whether this piece of writing actually manifests the values that people want it to or that it says it does. This is not the case, for example, in my other current fandom, which I'm not even really that far in, where most people have agreed that the child orgy scene in It is bad. But in Check, Please, there is no such easy thing as pointing at, you know, the I guess if it were a child orgy in check, please, it would be surrounding chowder. Like, I guess that's how that would go. So there's no like chowder orgy scene to point to and be like, oh, that's sweet summer child. You know, oh no. Instead, you end up in this much more difficult place where some people are getting great value out of the messaging that the comic says it's doing and other people feel betrayed by that. So it's a really difficult fandom conversation to have even because people are coming from such different places.
1: Well, I think we've sucked all the poison out of this wound. Where are we going next time for our next deep cut? Well, next time now that Jack has finished giving his pretend speech to Biddy, he will give a real speech to Biddy in 1.22 Goodbye for the Summer. Where can people find you till then? People can find me SecretOMG on Tumblr at Camiliar, C A M I L L I A R, or Secret OMG, S K R T O N G, if you want more of a sort of fandom meta politics, South Park. Lean. I'm also on AO3 as familiar. Come check me out. What about you? I'm Tomato. You can find me at
0: tomato or on AO3 at tomato underscore greens. Of course, you can find our podcast at checkdisplease.tumblr.com, on Podbean, on Spotify, someday on iTunes. I- I'll get it together. Maybe. We'll see. And uh, then we'll see you next time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Come back. Come back. We'll be
0: here. I feel like the last few episodes have been pretty good. So, you know, stick with us. They might stay good. We'll see. Bye. Bye. Bye.